Tune to the conversation here on Hawaii Public Radio. I'm Catherine Cruz. Whether you lost your home, your car, or a loved one in the Maui fires, determining your insurance coverage is a key step to recovery. This week at the FEMA Disaster Recovery Centers on Maui, staff from the State Department of Commerce and Consumer Affairs began offering assistance to affected families. We talked to State Insurance Commissioner Gordon Ito about helping Maui folks navigate through the process during this painful time. I was on Maui on Tuesday talking to people who live on Maui. We went to look at the DRC as it was being set up. You know, I talked to some insurers, trying to get a feel of really where are the people who have been impacted. I know there's the center in Kahului, right up the street from the DRC. The DRC is located at UH Maui College. That's where it's operational right now. If there are any Lahaina residents who may have relocated temporarily to another island, let's say here on Oahu or to Molokai, what is the information that they need to know about their insurance coverage? Well, first of all, I mean, we always encourage policyholders to contact their insurance company or agent, you know, to start the claim process. I mean, that's the most important step. Call the agent or the insurance company. And then the other questions that they can ask is they can ask, you know, the company or agent what type of policy they have, what the policy provides. You know, in the homeowner's case and displaced people who have really lost their homes, there are policies that provide for additional living expenses that you know, cover temporary shelter expenses. If they do have the coverage, we even tell them to keep all their hotel and meal receipts. There's other coverages that may be provided. So really reach out to the agents for motor vehicles similar, you know, ask ask them what kind of coverages they have. In in automobile or motor vehicles, I mean they if their car burnt down and is a total loss, hope that they have comprehensive coverage that, that covers the loss. So really, it's re- you reach out to the agents and, and companies and really start the claim process you know, as, as quick as they can. As we watch disasters unfold on the mainland, we often hear follow-up stories about insurance coverage and how maybe, you know, some homeowners are being dropped by their insurance carriers. You know, can you give us some sense as what could be the long-term effect on the insurance landscape for everybody else here in Hawaii that, you know, may have uh, homeowners, you know, fire insurance? You know, in, in terms of the long-term, with respect to the Hawaii insurance market, I mean, we've been very fortunate where it's been stable and you know, every line pretty much. I mean, every place there has been increases in, you know, the cost of insurance or premiums have gone up because of a number of factors like what we've gone through, COVID and supply chain shortages and material costs have increased as well as, well as labor costs. So frequency and severity of the accidents have occurred. But we're hoping that after, you know, we get through, our, our main focus really helping um, those that have been impacted by the Maui fires and you know, on on the Big Island also. That that's our main focus. In terms of the future, we're hoping that the market stays strong. Um, insurers, you know, remain in the market and there's still availability. So, you know, that's for something that we'll monitor very closely and we'll do everything to encourage insurers to stay in our market. Yeah, I saw a story recently uh, that said that Hawaii had some of the lowest rates for fire insurance. But given this and given, let's say, what we saw with the lava inundation there on the Big Island with so many homes going up in smoke, I'm sure people are nervous because I don't know what the situation is there on the Big Island with coverage as well. Yeah, so obviously the Maui disaster and the fire, the wildfires is, is a huge loss. We will, you know, monitor what the end results with, you know, the losses that ultimately are insured losses. We are here to make sure that um, the rates that are filed, if there are increases, the rate increases are not excessive and are appropriate. And can you give us a snapshot at all on the Big Island as far as uh, coverage, given, let's say, the, you know, volcano disaster there? Well, on the Big Island, the market is um, a little challenged at this time especially in the Lava Zone 1 and 2 area. 
there's a, an insurance company before this Maui disaster. This company is called Universal Property and Casualty that decided that they'll exit the Hawaii market. So there is a availability issue, but there is the HPIA that is the insurer of last resort that does provide coverage in you know, lava zones one and two and other lava zones. And obviously they're riding statewide at this present time. Are those rates more expensive? Yeah, the rates are in the lava zones in one and two, it, it is significantly more expensive than a, a regular homeowner's policy. Okay, but too soon to say what could happen uh, given this fire uh, disaster that we're dealing with. Yeah, it, it's really too early to you know, determine. Again, our focus is really to help those that have been impacted and helping them to get back onto the recovery process. I mean, that's our focus right now. And I guess we all can learn from this. We need to kind of take a look at our policies. What does it cover exactly? So if something happens with another hurricane or some other disaster that we're prepared and, and we know what the coverage is. Yeah, I mean, I'm glad you brought that up because it's always, you know, we always remind people to, you know, periodically review your policies, have a good understanding of what coverages you have or don't have and may need. You know, like, for example, in the homeowners, having inflation guard helps protect for increase in construction and material costs and making sure that, you know, if your home is damaged or destroyed, that, you know, you have sufficient insurance coverage to, you know, rebuild your house. You know, also with motor vehicle, for example, um, in, in the case of damage to your car, you, you need to have comprehensive coverage in addition to the basic no-fault policy provision. So it's really important for you know everyone who has insurance to periodically review their policy and make sure that the coverages they have you know, covers them appropriately. And then too, I'm thinking, you know, all your important papers, if you've got to all of a sudden leave your house immediately, you know, you hope that you have some of those important papers together and you aren't searching and scrambling at the last minute where you're trying to get out the door. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you know, having it in a safe place. I mean, if you have um, like safety deposit box or other place separate from your home, you know, that's ideal to store in case of, you know, events where there is a disaster or, or damage to your home or car. I mean, having those papers in, in the proper and safe places is really highly encouraged. Anything else that you think would be helpful for our listeners to underscore at this time? Just telling everyone that have been impacted. I mean, the insurance division from Department of Commerce and Consumer Affairs, I mean, we're here to help you through the process. And any any if anyone feels or has any question, they really should feel free to call our office um, at any time. I mean, we're here. That's what our job is to help you know, everyone um, navigate through the insurance process. Well, Gordon Ito, thank you so much for uh, carving out time for us. No, you're welcome. And our, and really our you know, heart, heartfelt sympathy to all on Maui who have been impacted. That was Gordon Ito, State Insurance Commissioner. Staff from the Department of Commerce and Consumer Affairs uh, are on the ground in Maui, assisting at the Disaster Recovery Center, which is set up at the University of Hawaii's Maui campus to help those affected by the fires. Again, consumers are urged to contact their insurance carriers to file a claim for their homes and cars to start the process. Support for The Conversation comes from the HPR Local Talk Show Fund, which helps Hawaii Public Radio sustain and grow its locally produced talk shows. Mahalo to contributors, Bavarian Motor Experts, and Chaminade University. Each week, New Dimensions explores the social, political, scientific, environmental, and spiritual frontiers with some of today's foremost social innovators, thinkers, scientists, and creative artists. Hi, I'm Larry Brilliant, author of my memoir, Sometimes Brilliant. Next time on New Dimensions, I'll be talking about God, smallpox, and India. Sunday morning at 11.
Support for HPR comes from the Hawaii Community Foundation, committed to an equitable and thriving Hawaii, supporting initiatives such as affordable housing, fresh water, and the healthy development of young children. HawaiiCommunityFoundation.org. As displaced Maui residents start to transition from temporary shelters to hotel rooms, uh, many shelters around Maui remain open to provide food, water, and other essential items to those impacted by the fires. One of them is King's Cathedral Church in Kahului, which is one of the largest churches on the island and at one time sheltered 900 people. The conversations Russell Subiano talked with Pastor Shannon Morocco this morning about the outpouring of community support and the plan for a temporary shelter community in the future. The last few days, we've been able to get everyone in our shelter into hotels. So they have their own hotel room, they have meals, they have their own shower. And so right now we're not sheltering anyone because we've been able to actually work with uh, the county to get them a hotel room because the government opened that up. And of course, some people didn't want to leave, which was, uh, you know, shock to us, but they just loved, they felt so loved, so taken care of. So we offered three meals a day. We offered a place for shelter. We've offered, a, you know, we're, we're a donation center and a pickup center so that anybody who is in need that lost everything, we, we're giving, you know, people that come, whether they shelter or not. And, and so we were able to do that. I mean, I have numbers and stats, like over a thousand plus people we've been able to help with essential needs like food, clothing, toiletries, you know, you name it. We had, um, we, we have shut that down, but we did have 24 hour first aid care for those first, that first week basically. But once everybody got into the hotels, we didn't need to have the 24 hour first aid nurses and, and staff there. I've heard several reports of the outpouring of local community support that has happened oh. on Maui. Can you describe what you've seen? Oh my goodness, yes, from locally and nationally. We're partnering with organizations like CityServe and Convoy of Hope, even, you know, people, boots on the ground, like Samaritan's Person, the Billy Graham Association, you know, and um, Mercy Chefs. Mercy Chefs came in on, I think it was the second or third day, and have been making meals out of our kitchen. In the beginning, they were making over 3,000 meals per day for not only our shelter, but for those other shelters and other areas that were in need in Lahaina. And so that has been amazing partnering with them, you know, our volunteers, their volunteers, their team coming in. We've seen people like, for instance, Mount Aloha helicopters flew in helicopters, about four helicopters from the Big Island landed on our our field to donations from the Big Island. We've had, you know, Chick-fil-A and Lowe's and Costco donate items. They came by and said, what do you need? And we, we shared with them, hey, we need this, we need that. That's just like... A, small portion of the collaboration and the generosity of the locals and people abroad. I know one of the ways that King's Cathedral distinguishes itself is with this idea that it's one church in many locations. You have yes. 635 campuses worldwide. Have you been able to tap into the expertise and resources from your congregations outside of Hawaii? Absolutely. I mean, right now, like just today, um, a group from Oahu came in, a group from Kauai coming in. But throughout this time, we've had different ones, especially inner island, flying in to help. But, you know, every Kings is is raising money, is doing drives. Like, for instance, Alaska partnered with Lay's Poke up in Alaska. It's a it's a lady in our church, I think, that has a poke shop. But they filled like a 40-foot container and, and got generators. And they, they're sent, and that's on its way. You know, we have so much still coming, you know, via via the ocean. It is takes longer to get here. A lady in our church who's a, I guess she's a YouTube influencer, leveraged her audience and started an Amazon wish list. And we had like thousands of Amazon boxes show up to our church where we're organizing. You know, we're really praying that God would allow us to be a storehouse. And we're also partnering with Family Life Center, which is our social service arm of our church. They, they, they've been um, around, you know, I think 30 plus years housing and helping the homeless and the needy. Well, we purchased the 10 acres across the cathedral, and we're actually going to be using that to do many homes that we're, we're purchasing from Hungary 
you know, it's just like temporary housing for people. They lay flat and then they pop up and you can add more units to it. It's quite remarkable, the engineering capacity. So we're working on that right now. We're working, trying to say, how, how can we get water on that land? How can we get electricity? So these are just some of the things that we're trying to think of immediate and long term. And speaking of the, the temporary shelter community that that you guys are working on across the street there uh, on your 10 acres. Can you talk a little bit more about that in terms of, you know, like what the timeline might look like and maybe what the capacity might be? Well, I think on our social media, I think it said, I can't remember. I'm so sorry. I can't, I'm driving, but I think it was like 40 or 60 families initially. And, you know, the units can hold four, but you can add units to each other for bigger families. So, I mean, it's just, you know, working through all the red tape of, you know, getting like the water, the power, the things that we need. So we're praying that like the, you know, like the, the government and our, our local county will help expedite things. You know, we understand there's so many people in Lahaina that don't want to move off the island and want to rebuild and that's going to take time. And so if we can be a support, you know, for in that interim time, we, we want to, you know, at least for the next year or two years. So, you know, and again, everything. You know, one day at a time. I think that's one thing I've learned is every, every day brings a new, new joys and new sorrows and new problems and new solutions. <laughs> so that's what I'm seeing in this time is God's really giving us wisdom to how to help the people, how to surround them physically and spiritually. I'm glad you brought up the spiritual needs. I, I know that a lot of the efforts, the, a lot of the relief efforts on, on Maui has been focused on the physical needs, you know, food, water, shelter. I talked to the state earlier this week about mental health services. Can you talk about the spiritual impact this has had on the community and how King's Cathedral is addressing that? Absolutely. Well, uh, number one, you know, our heart is to minister to people spiritually and emotionally and physically, honestly. But as a church, we know that our hope is in the Lord. And I love Dr. Morocco had, you know, spoken a word on Sunday, such a timely word from the Lord out, out of Psalms 46, which is verse one is God is our refuge and our strength, our ever present help in time of need. And we know in a situation like this, it is so vast and so devastating and so many hurting that God's really going to be the, need to be the anchor to people's soul. And he is our rock. He is our fortress. He is our comforter. I love in the New Testament when it says Jesus was moved with compassion when he saw the hurting and the broken. So I know that the Lord wants to meet the needs of the people. And so we're committed to praying, to counseling, to sitting with and ministering to so many. You know, I don't know if you heard, but our church in Lahaina, our King's Chapel in Lahaina, actually burnt down in the fires, as well as a couple of our pastors and many of our church congregation members in Lahaina. And what was so remarkable to me is that many of them are here serving and giving. And, and even though they've lost everything, they're giving. And that just shows the strength in Jesus, the resiliency of just standing in faith, even when you've lost everything, because we understand what the greatest thing is, is our salvation and is our hope in the Lord that physical things will come and go. But, you know, we really cling to each other. And I've seen the community grow in such strength and unity. Relationships I've built just over this last week with just the community partners and different ones that have come in. I mean, over 400 plus volunteers have come almost every day to serve. This is our church and people outside our church, even people that have flown in from the mainland that have some kind of tie to Hawaii, whether they were from here or whether they know people, they're like, I just flew in. I just knew I needed to do something. So remarkable. I'm just amazed at even in the horrific pain that God is going to bring purpose and bring beauty from ashes. Pastor Shannon, thank you so much for your time this morning. I really appreciate you sharing the things that you've experienced in this time. And and I feel like our listeners will appreciate knowing that there's a large group of people, large community that, that really cares for the people there on Maui. Yes. And I feel like, you know, one thing that I love about King's Cathedral is we've been here for 43 years and we're not going anywhere. You know, I know there's going to be a lot of organizations that come in and come out in the next two weeks to a month to a year, but we're really here at King's to love your family, to meet your need, to do our best. We're not perfect by any means, but we truly believe that God wants to use us to really wrap our arms around our hurting community, and we, we want to see healing. And I, I'm just grateful for the, your listeners that are listening, and, and please you know, if you, you want to give, I know a lot of people say, what can we do? We do have on our website, kingscathedral.com, a Maui Relief Fund set up that, that if you feel led to give, that we're going to be giving towards 
you know, the moving forward of helping all these that have been misplaced and lost so much. And But we also, if you need donations, if you're listening to this or you know a family member or friends that have been affected, please come to our church. Our doors are open. We have things that you need. If you, you are in need of anything, come stop by because we're here to serve and here to help. Pastor Shannon, thank you so much for your time this morning. God bless you. Thank you so much for having me on. And that was Pastor Shannon Morocco from King's Cathedral in Kahului, Maui, talking to HPR's Russell Subiano. It is now time for your reality check. Honolulu Civil Beat editor Chad Blair joins us today with a story that mentions a company whose name hasn't been in the headlines for some time, Sandwich Isles Communications. Good morning, Chad. Good morning, Catherine. Yes, and this story is about the state of uh, fiber, fiber lines. Yeah, as as many people know, the the fiber optic lines uh, were burned in Lahaina. Uh, This is part of the whole communications uh, collapse, really, in West Maui and in other areas. A lot of that is being restored, as we know, Hawaiian Electric, Maui Electric, and so forth, and the telecom companies as well. But ultimately, I think Kevin's story today underscores the need that we really have to somehow find a way to protect miles and miles of what are now, in many cases, above ground lines, right? Ones that are strung along uh, power poles and others. It really is the backbone of Hawaii cellular phone and, and broadband network. It's an enormous task, but uh, Kevin sort of cast uh, the Lahaina situation as an opportunity here, because as you know, we're rebuilding, we're gonna rebuild that community, which has to include not just housing, but it's gotta include infrastructure and fiber optics are key. Yeah, and so this company, Sandwich Isles Communications, I mean, right. uh, they've been around um, involved in some scandal. <laughs> yeah, we're, we're talking about Al He, of course. He spent, I think it was something like 46 months uh, in federal on federal tax charges uh, in prison. He's out now. He was running Sandwich Isles. Um, that has now been turned over to his family, but Mr. He is still a consultant. Kevin did speak with him, and they are very much at the forefront of trying to, to do something. Sandwich Isles actually has already uh, undergrounded fiber optic cables from Kanapali through Lahaina to Pu'unene is my understanding. In other words, there's a, an infrastructure that's there. Whether that can be tapped in by other telecom companies remains to be seen. And by the way, Sandwich Isles, as you might recall, a lot of its work has been done with a lot of generous federal funding. Uh, Sandwich Isles has been charged to, to, to wire up, if you will, Hawaiian homelands, uh, both on Maui and the Big Island. Right. And, uh, you know, with that, some of that federal funding, you know, they were able to get some connections in, you know, um, across the state. So, yeah, it just is really curious to see, you know, where it's positioned itself there on Maui and what happens going forward. Right. I think the the biggest challenge that I'm hearing that Kevin has communicated very clearly in his article is that um, it's going to cost a lot of money. It's it just so much money, not just to uh, underground fiber optic cables, but power cables. And even though that's been done, especially in communities that have had similar situations, wildfires on the mainland, it is enormously, enormously expensive. That gets passed along to the customers. uh, And that I think is the biggest challenge, even with federal funding. But what Kevin, I think one of the real good purposes of the article is if if you're wondering how your own uh, telecom company is doing, Kevin did manage to reach out to Hawaiian Telecom, to Verizon Wireless, AT&T, Charter Communications. They each have different systems, They, um, but he's, if you will, provided a little bit of an update on where that status is. Like, like Hawaiian Telecom, for example, it has a central office there in Lahaina. It was mostly intact. It survived mostly the fire. Uh, they are currently running, I understand, new connections. Some cell service has been restored. How are they doing that? They're using satellite connections to cell phone towers, but that's a temporary fix. That's not going to be enough to keep things going uh, permanently. Yeah, and we've been asking for an update from Hawaiian Telecom, you know, and we understand that there is some 
uh, what we're hearing is some uh, fiber being laid, right. but yeah, not, not real clear on when all those customers over there can get some good uh, data, you know, transmission right. reliable because everything's pretty spotty right now. Exactly. With Verizon Wireless, they don't have fiber uh, connections uh, to towers in the place, but it too has restored some of its coverage in West Maui. They are too using satellite equipment with AT&T, similar situation. We did hear this from, from Janine Suki over at Hawaii Telecom. Uh, she has advised, and I know many people have heard this, but it's a message that's worth repeating. Keep your cell phone communication to a minimum. Do it only for essential purposes. You know, don't just pick up the phone and start calling people and talking forever. You really need to be very um, conservative with with that usage. That is going to help others. Uh, so that's a very important message, I think, that was reiterated in Kevin's story today. Yes, and of course, the satellite coverage, short-term you know, lots of uh, things are being done to help people at those shelters, right? You know, providing them chargers, uh, waiving fees and such. But, yeah, it's just going to be a kind of a shaky time for a while. Yeah, but but so important, this last point, so many residents, so many visitors on Maui said, I didn't get a 911 emergency system. I didn't hear anything on my cell phone. Well, that's because it was out. All the more reason to have a system in place going forward. Yeah, be interesting to see what happens. But thank you so much, Chad. You're welcome, Catherine. Take care. That was Chad. Blair with today's reality check uh, to read Kevin Dayton's story on fiber optics. Visit civilbeat.org. Support for HPR comes from Green Building Hawaii, providing energy and sustainability consulting services throughout the islands, assisting clients with building and energy code compliance, featuring LEED certification services. GreenBuildingHawaii.com. Tomorrow, HPR presents Kailana. This in-person event is part of our HPR's Indie 808 performance series. Experience this exclusive set at our Atherton studio in Honolulu. Purchase your tickets online at hprtickets.org. Sponsored by Farm Lovers Markets. Support for HPR comes from Nareed Hawaii, which supports nonprofits providing homeless residents with a place to live, such as U.S. Vets and its tiny homes community, Kamaoku Kauhale, nareedhawaii.com. Back to school jam time. Traffic goes light with today being a state holiday, but that's going to change next week. On Monday, 49,000 college students head back to the classroom, and private schools across the island will add to that congestion. It's a time when traffic just becomes more of a problem on our highways and freeways. But we do now have access to rail. Will it help with traffic this fall? We talked to Roger Morton, director of the city's transportation services department, about the expected spike in ridership on rail and on the bus. Traditionally, that's when our traffic gets a lot harder. And traditionally, that's a good time to think about your commute patterns because you may have children you're taking to school, you may have other things. It's a good time for everybody just to kind of readjust and take a look at, at their commute patterns. We do need to get ridership up on Skyline. For some people, Skyline works really, really well. And so for particularly for folks uh, in, on the west side, I think that the combination of Skyline plus our uh, park and ride facility at UH West Oahu and at Ho'opili are a great, great combination. Take the Skyline to our Halava, uh, that's our stadium station, and then transfer to our Route A, uh, and that'll get you on a freeway ride into town. So. I think uh, I know I have I have people that use that combination and have told me that uh, it works great for them. Uh, you know, it doesn't work for everybody, but I think uh, for the brave, as you said, if you're in the west side and you work in downtown or anywhere uh, at, or if you're going to UH 
or even if you're going into Waikiki to work, try it out. It's a, it's a, it's, it's a, you know, you'll be impressed with the ride, that's for sure. But for some people, uh, you know, that it works as a faster alternative than a regular bus. When you folks kicked off uh, the service, you know, I was monitoring the bus lines that would take people to UH and into town, and they were pretty thin. Is there anything more you can share with us about ridership numbers? Well, on the bus, I mean, I have ridership numbers on my screen right now on the on the bus side. What what I can say is our you know our ridership has been about the same since we started. We are expecting that we will have a, a bump when schools go back. That's not unusual for our buses, and we think it'll be the same thing for Skyline as well. And what can you share with us about the bus routes that have been altered? I mean, there are riders that you know are. A little upset because uh, it's not as convenient as it used to be for them with this change, you know, now that everything's uh, being directed toward rail. So they're a little nervous that some routes may go away completely at some point? Well, I mean, this is, uh, it's too early to tell uh, for that. And and also, you know, we are in a a long-term way, we're preparing for rail when it gets into the airport, Middle Street area. And we are also even taking a look at rail when it gets into town. So many of the adjustments that we've made uh, do connect with rail. Uh, and, uh, you know, they're, they're made to be long term. Our, our first objective was to uh, not put in interim routes that we'd have to people would get used to. And then we'd have to go back and undo them every time we made a change. Uh, and so we have now. Uh, you know, most of the routes, there there are a few that change, but, and I've heard some, uh, you know, some people that have uh, been unhappy with, uh, you know, our Route A that we, we replaced the, that in, White, in Waipahu with, with Skyline. But for the large part, I have not heard a lot of issues like that. I think they've been in very isolated places. I believe we did have a listener call with concerns about veterans that, you know, used to uh, uh, catch the bus, you know, at Middle Street, you know, going up to Tripler or to the VA clinic and just express some concern that the a lot of those riders would be affected. Well, um, those routes uh, really didn't change much uh, going up to Tripler. Uh, they're, they're, you know, that route goes from, I believe it goes from airport to Middle Street and then up to Tripler. Uh, that way, uh, and and we didn't, you know, we, we don't have the the rail going to Middle Street yet, so we really, or to airport for that matter. So I don't think that we made uh, changes in that route because of rail. That may have been people's perception. That's a surprise to me that 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 would be an issue. In any event, looking forward, when is the next critical point for you, and you know, with ridership? We're going to start schools next week, and then we typically would want to give them a, you know, a month to sort of become established. And then our folks will take a look at the uh, riderships and, and determine whether or not there are adjustments that, that make sense after we, we open the schools. I hesitate to do that uh, in a summer period because summer period riding is a lot different from what happens once the, the schools are open. What can you tell us about hurricane season? You know, this stretches out to November. At what speeds do the trains shut down? Trains are designed to go, uh, you know, uh, actually longer than we would go. Our protocol basically is once we reach tropical storm intensity, we shut down our transit system. And that means that we have sustained wind in the 39, 40 mile an hour range. That is the, the point at which we'll shut down both bus and rail. We've done that for you know, that's been our protocol for some years. You know, I happened to be at the Halava station when it started to rain. <laughs> and, uh, you know, a lot of the sails catch the wind and, and, and there's water that is accumulating there, uh, you know, down in the stations. Uh, have you folks, you know, looked at that, uh, if anything needs to be remedied? I think the stations are, are, are not, you know, they are basically semi-open type of stations. There will be water that comes in at those places. I'm not honestly 100% sure whether Hart has an issue uh, with them doing that. I know with the canopies, you know, it'll be difficult for us to maintain them. Everybody knows that. They're put on some, actually the, the masks that hold them have some structure within them. They have electrical systems within them and they're very tight. So we haven't got down to the point of figuring out exactly what we do and how we would uh, deal with that. But they're beautiful looking. I'm not sure that uh, 
at heart going forward is going to continue with that same design. Okay, and then any other issues with uh, birds or uh, vermin? Uh, I know there was that one issue, you know, where a, a, a number of birds were were congregating, you know, uh, uh, on, on the columns along the route. I, I recall the issue maybe two years ago when they had bird problems. Maybe with the trains running, we're less likely to have the birds. I have not heard of any bird issues since we started operating. I think if you if you look at uh, transit, it's a, it's, a, it's a less costly option for for people, and that's that's a good thing. If you're if you have children uh, that are uh, in high school, as you know, the DOE is short of school bus operators uh, this year, and so they have continued and expanded their express program, where parents can get a free transit pass from the participating high schools and all of the DOE schools on Oahu are participating. So any high school kid that goes to a DOE non-charter school, just a regular high school, is eligible for a free pass and all they got to do is the parents have to return a parent consent form to the DOE. That program was exceptionally successful last year and I'm hoping that it'll go forward. Likewise, you know, if you are a university student at UH Manoa, at KCC or at HPU, we have a great program there with the students uh, and they receive a very, very discounted rate. And the strength, the one that's uh, unique there is that every student that goes to those three schools receives a free transit pass as part of their activity card. And so for those, you know, if we get our university students and our high school students being regular users of public transit, that's going to be a lifetime learning for them. We're still working uh, with our partners at Pearl Harbor. They're getting ready to have their groundbreaking for the next dry dock facility that they're building. It's important to us because I think they're expecting 3,000 or so workers once that project gets going. And so trying to figure out a way that, that we can make Skyline work for our Pearl Harbor partners uh, is that. And we're looking forward to our next segment, which will be operating in less than a year and a half, which will get us to the airport uh, and Middle Street. We unfortunately had uh, some terrible pileups uh, on the freeways recently with fatalities. We haven't had one of those in a long time, but it certainly you know, brings back the reality of what happens when those main thoroughfares are impacted like that. Well, I, I think it's especially... As school goes back in, I'm thinking that if you're stuck in one of those traffic jams and you're watching that skyline just go cruising by, I'm hoping it'll be the best advertisement that we could do for trying trying out the, the system will be just, you know, watch it and then try it out with your vote with your feet and try it one day. Yeah, because being stuck in traffic for four hours is no fun. All right. Well, thank yeah. you so much, Roger Morton. We appreciate your time and we'll see how things go the following week. All right. Well, thank you, Captain. Thanks for having me. And that was Roger Morton, Director of Transportation Services for the city. Reminder to motorists on Oahu, consider leaving early Monday as thousands of students return uh, to private schools and colleges next week. Support for HPR comes from Mobi, a Hawaii wireless company serving the island since 2005, committed to providing personal service to each customer, featuring a locally-based customer care team. Learn more at Mobi.com. This week, we're looking back at some of my favorite TV shows. We'll hear some sweetness from the writers of Abbott Elementary. Every week I get a text from my grandmother who's a huge fan of the show and just saying, when are Janine and Gregory getting married? And I'm like, married? <laughs> you really skipped a lot of steps. And we'll hear about the stress of Stephen Young's role on Beef. Next time on It's Been a Minute from NPR. Beginning Saturday at noon, following Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me. Support for The Conversation comes from the HPR Local Talk Show Fund, which helps Hawaii Public Radio sustain and grow its locally produced talk shows. Mahalo to contributor Hastings and Pleadwell, a communication company.
HPR's Indie 808 Concert Series kicks off tomorrow night in our Atherton Performing Arts Studio. Over the next four Saturdays, we'll feature local up-and-coming musicians that represent a wide spectrum of sounds and genres. Getting us started will be the Nahoku Hanuhanu Award-winning Keilana, who blends uh, R&B and jazz and gives it an island feel to create a sound uniquely her own. The Conversations' Russell Subiano sat down with Keilana in our studios to talk about her music. The first time I heard your music, what immediately popped into my mind was Mary J. Blige. Oh, I love that. I'm going down. Oh, yes. Time on my hand Since you've been away, boy I ain't got no plans No, 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 no I also heard kind of a little bit of Maya, a little bit of Erica Badu, but your music is still distinctively you. Thank you. Am I in the ballpark of who your musical influences are? You are pretty, yeah, pretty in the ballpark. I definitely grew up listening to a lot of 90s, 2000s R&B. And so to hear those names in comparison with my own music is is a big honor. So thank you. Oh, cool. Is, is that something that your parents introduced you to? Is that kind of their, their music as well? Yeah, I would say so. My parents were very eclectic. They, they listened to a bunch of different music, but I would say there was a lot of heavy R&B influence. Uh, we had a lot of CDs, but also a part of the reason why I, I would kind of say that my music is very, what I aspire for it to sound like is very Neil Soul uh, with a tinge of, of you know, being from the islands and, and, and paying homage to that. But I grew up listening to R&B and island music and Hawaiian music, but also my grandpa was a really big influence in my music. And uh, he unfortunately passed away before he could kind of see me develop and see this into fruition. But he was a big jazz head. So, yeah. Yeah. So I, I think that's why there's a lot of jazz notes and and some of my songs, especially people will listen to them and then try to recreate it or, or mm-hmm. perform it. And they're like, wait, these these rhythms and these chord choices are kind of difficult. And and I think that's me kind of paying tribute to, to my grandpa and jazz and, and yeah. things a little bit more complex than what meets the eye. I saw this video the other day of Carrie Underwood covering a Motorhead song. Oh. Have you seen that? No, I didn't. So I guess Carrie is on tour with Guns N' Roses and she's opening for them. Oh, wow. And so she covered this Motorhead song and there's a video of it on, on the internet. What musician or musical style would people be surprised to know that you like or that you've been influenced by? Ooh, that I've been influenced by. A lot of, I would say, my music is is very heavily influenced by super emotive lyricists or songwriters. And so a lot of that kind of can stem from singer-songwriters, but also I listen to a lot of indie punk rock and stuff where like the, the lyrics are super heavy and and actually just this morning I was working out at the gym and I was listening to like my old indie rock playlist of like and there's some with metal and screamo and some people would think like there's no way she listens to that but there's just something about it that's so stark and contrasting to the type of music I do but in a way it, it helps to balance out and, and and I really enjoy it actually. So speaking of lyrics and speaking <laughs> of your music I did want to talk to you about some specific songs your most streamed song on Spotify is Cotton Candy Feelings. Yeah. Over 200,000 streams. Right. Pretty impressive. Thank you. In your song you sing, Never Meant for These Never meant for these four walls to be so high now they keep me from the sky dreams. Ooh, a bit of water left my tongue stained. Since then I've never been the same. I think these are some very introspective lyrics there. You're talking about how four walls, whether they're a prison or a defense mechanism, how they keep you from the sky of dreams. Can you talk about the story or the process behind writing that song? Oh, my goodness. Thank you so much for for bringing that up, because that is my... That was my first single I ever released. That was my first body of work. And something that I struggled with as an artist was being vulnerable and being transparent. Mm -hmm. But I realized in order to be as best of an artist as you can, you really have to take a good look at yourself and you have to be comfortable with showing parts of you that really make you you. Because listeners can tell when an artist is being you know, true to themselves or not. And if they don't figure it out right away, they'll figure it out over time. And that was always my fear with jumping into, okay, I want 
not only to be a performer or a musician, I want to be an artist. And with that song, it was like my intro into really sharing myself, yet not sharing too much. And so actually that song really highlighted a point and a time in my life where I had a hard time being vulnerable, but I was very aware that I was in a situation where it wasn't healthy for me. And I was kind of going through a little bit of like a depression. And so actually a lot of people, when they'll hear that song, they're like, oh my gosh, I love the beat and and I can just listen to the song all day. And, um, <laughs> and then I kind of laughed to myself because then I, I meet other people that are like, thank you so much, your lyrics really resonate with me. And, and that's exactly it. it. It was about me fighting with the concept cotton candy feelings is I, I kind of envisioned it one day when I was at, at a fair, actually. I seen the person kind of like working with the sugar and then like twirling it around. And it became this really big, fluffy, beautiful thing that really kind of, if you just like put a little bit of water on it, it like turns into nothing. And I think that was the concept I was going for is, you know, from the outside perspective to my audience, I want everyone to think like, oh, I'm bubbly. I don't have anything going wrong with me. But like one small thing can really just bring me down. And, and I wanted to find a way to let that part of me out without sharing too much. And so I put that in really deep, heavy lyrics and with nice, uh, tasteful, <laughs> fun, like music. Yeah. <laughs> I get the vibe that it is a very personal song, that it comes from a very personal place. And I think artists, I, th I feel like their job is to be vulnerable and to share experiences so that people listening, they don't feel alone. Right. Yeah. Right? The song of yours that struck me the most was Time. Mm. Something about your choice of the melody and the emotion that you sing with really resonated with me. You have this line, cause time's my enemy. Tell me about writing that song. All right. So that song, <laughs> I wrote that song very vividly about an experience that I had. I, I was actually traveling to New Zealand and I had such a beautiful experience. It was summer here, which meant it was fall there and it was like beautiful. And I had met a musician out there that actually I would say was the catalyst to me changing and deciding to go down the route of being an artist because something different that I realized from the community of musicians I met out there were a lot of them were open about their original music versus here a lot of them were r&b musicians and so a lot of them had original music that they were sharing at their gigs and i'm like wow this is so awesome i don't really have a lot of spaces to do that back at home and so i was very inspired by these these individuals that i met and one particular person asked me we spent a lot of time together and he's like hey let me let me hear some of your songs and at that time i only had cotton candy feelings and so i showed him and i was like oh yeah this is all i have and he's like, this is great. You, you should share this. Have you recorded this? And I said, no, no way. I would never record it. I only do covers and I only perform covers back home in Hawaii. And he gave me the greatest piece of advice, which was, you know, you never know if someone is going to have to hear those words. You know, you have the opportunity to change someone's perspective and you might have the opportunity to change someone's life and heal them. And for you to hold this withhold it from sharing it with the world you know you're doing a disservice not just to yourself but to the world and I was like dang well when you put it like that geez uh <laughs> so I went back home and I just remember being so appreciative of this person and the experiences that we had I knew that I was never going to see him again and so actually this song was just about knowing that this person made such a profound impact on me and I wanted to take all the intricacies of every little moment that we spent together to kind of like encapsulate that so that when I do leave I still have that that memory even though it's been it's been the years already and and that's kind of what the purpose of that song served and and that's why that's actually my favorite song being a working musician sometimes isn't about fame and fortune or even about self-expression or creating art. Sometimes it's about increasing opportunity. Mm -hmm. What kinds of opportunities have you gotten as a musician that maybe you wouldn't have gotten otherwise? Oh man, I, I could write a whole book about that. <laughs> but I've definitely gained so many experiences in the opportunities that I've got from, from being a performer and being an artist. One, I, I get to connect with way more people 
easier because I, I'm a very naturally introverted person. And so you won't really catch me being the first person to try and like be out there. But following my passion and being a performer has allowed for me to hone in on on my my craft and my art and share it. And, and in a way, it kind of brings people to me, which is great because that allows me to connect with people from all over the world. And I get to hear so many stories and so many experiences that really continue to inspire me and then I, and then it kind of just goes into the cycle of I get inspired I've got to travel way more than I think I would have ever if I've before I got into music I, I thought I was going to be an architect that's kind of what I thought I was going to do but yeah to just see now like I, I actually just got back from being on the east coast for two weeks I met the president of the United States uh, I saw that <laughs> yeah, on Instagram that was, so yeah that awesome. was crazy yeah. uh, I performed at the White House I've got to go to Japan like I've just got to experience so many things that I know for a fact I would have never been able to do in my lifetime had I not kind of just put myself out there to be an artist and perform. What a lesson for young people out there. Put yourself out there, follow your dream. Yeah. Look at all the cool stuff that could happen. Right, yeah. Right on. <laughs> Kaylana, thank you so much for coming into the station to talk story with me. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you. musical artist Kaylana talking with HPR's Russell Sobiono. Kaylana will be performing tomorrow night at 7 p.m. in our Atherton Performing Arts Studio. She's the first concert in our Indie 808 series that will span the next four Saturdays. To get your tickets, go to our website, hawaiipublicradio.org. Well, that's it for this Aloha Friday. Coming up next week, I'll be out, but HPR's Bill Dortman sits in. Call our talk back line. Leave us your comments. That's 808-792-8217. Write to us at talkback at hawaiipublicradio.org. You can listen back to our shows on the conversation page of the website, or uh, you you can sign up for the podcast on Spotify, Apple. Uh, anywhere else you tune in. Our program is produced by Russell Subiono, Lillian Song, and Stephanie Hahn. The Backyard Quiz theme written for us by John DeMello. Theme music courtesy of Gypsy 808. I'm Catherine Cruz. Join us on Monday. Pick up the conversation. Mm-hmm.